Well, today we are, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and go while they're finishing up, and uh, we are going to uh, wrap up. We've come to this final installment of the series that we've called Purpose and Calling, and uh, we've done quite a bit over this month of January. Now we're into February, and uh, January started off in sort of a rare way, right? Um, because the first Sunday in January, the first Sunday of the year, was actually New Year's Day. And we gathered and we had the opportunity on the very first day of the year to usher in 2023 uh, by praising and worshiping and sharing testimonies. And I challenge you with a word for the year. And um, I try and do that, that um, last year, and the word for last year was to seek, right? Um, and I did that, I gave that to you so you didn't have to try and remember what the word for the year last year was. Um, but the word for this year, the word I challenged you were with was what? Do you remember? Commit. Commit. Thank you, both of you, for remembering that, and I appreciate that. And we commit, that's right. We want to, and we looked at the, the scripture from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. And, and we, we said that when we would commit, that we didn't just want to commit one specific thing. Okay, we want to commit, obviously, but we didn't want to commit just one specific thing. We decided that we would follow along with what, what the author of Proverbs 16 said, that we would commit whatever. Right? Commit whatever. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and all of your plans will succeed. That's what Proverbs 16.3 says. And so it's been a month now. It's been five Sundays since we've talked about committing to the Lord whatever you do. And we challenge yourselves to commit our whatever. So it's been that long, and I want to be intentional. It's been that long. I want to be intentional to remind you, and I'll, I'll be honest and very transparent. I want to remind myself to commit whatever you're doing to the Lord and remind you to do that often. That if, if you're going to work every day, to commit that to the Lord. Because not everybody has that opportunity, right? That if you woke up this morning married, to commit that to the Lord. That if you are a parent, that you should commit that to the Lord. Even if your kids are grown and have moved out and they have kids, commit being a parent to the Lord. If you sing, commit your voice to the Lord. If you play sports, commit your athletic ability to the Lord. If you're super smart in school... Commit your brain to the Lord. Do you get it? Whatever. Commit to the Lord. And here's the thing. It, the it, you know, the it at the end of that verse, it will, have, it will, it will not happen, okay? And by it, the success that we read about, it will not happen unless we commit our whatevers to the Lord. That's, that's the first thing we have to do. So you see, what, what happens is God wants all of our life. That's the idea. He wants us to surrender to him, to put aside our pride, the things that we think that we're really good at, those whatevers, and he wants us to give those to him. And, and that's, 
makes sense, because when we do, what does it do? It glorifies him, and that's our purpose. That's what we're made to do. It's why we exist, and that's what we've been talking about for the last four weeks since New Year's Day. We've been talking about our purpose and our calling. While we're here on earth, our purpose is very simple. It's very simple. The definition of our purpose is that it's the reason that someone exists, right? It's the reason that someone exists. And our purpose as human beings is to what? Yeah, to glorify God, to serve him with everything that we have and everything that we are. So the idea of calling, it's a little different, right? It's a little harder to maybe lay out for people. Um, maybe it's a little less concrete, okay? Purpose, a lot, lot easier. Glorify God with everything you have. We can lay that out pretty simple. But calling Maybe a little harder, right? The definition of calling by the, the dictionary is, right, the strong impulse towards a particular action accompanied by a conviction of divine influence, okay? And we, uh, you know, unlike purpose, you know, our calling is unique to us. Our, our purpose is unique to everybody. It, it's the same for everyone. Our, our calling is those, those talents, those skills, those abilities that God's given us. That's kind of how we've approached it over the last month. And so as we focused over this series, everyone has something within them, right? Something. And whether you realize it or not, and whether you use it or not, it's in there. Because that's what God made you for. So over the past few weeks, we've looked at... Uh, the life of this guy named David. And David, in, in the Old Testament, um, we, we've looked at uh, little David. Um, we've looked at teenager David and 20-year-old um, David. And we've come to King David time. And we don't have time today to kind of rehash all of the things that we've explored and all of the different callings, the different talents, the abilities that he's had um, but just know this, David's life, David's life um, is, is just full of blessing and callings and talents galore, right? He had a heart for God, which is how it all got kicked off. It's why he was chosen to be the king, because he had a heart for God, because he, was, he wasn't the biggest and tallest and strongest, but God didn't look at all that. He looked at his heart, what was on the inside. He was a gifted shepherd. He was gifted with a slingshot. He was a great musician, a good poet, uh, a gifted warrior and leader. He was all state in basketball. He got straight A's at Bethlehem High School. He was, no, I made those last two up. Yeah. They might have been. I don't know. But, uh, but so far in the events in David's life that we've talked about um, and, and the things that we've explored, they've all been... Um, very positive, haven't they? They've, they've, they've been things that you could probably, you probably even knew about before we talked about them. There, there, there's things that even people outside of church, you know, David and Goliath, that, that whole story is talked about all the time, right? And so um, there are things that they've, they've all gone David's way in some way, shape, or form. Um, he was anointed the next king over seven other brothers, that's good for him. He defeats Goliath. Good thing for him. He avoided being killed by Saul. 
uh, and he shows mercy by not killing Saul himself, even though he has the chance to do so. All good things in David's life. And God brought David along in his life according to God's plan. And so as we finish up David's story today, we find that his legacy, David's legacy, is not necessarily the picture of perfection that we've talked about all the way through so far. But uh, before, uh, before we get to where we're headed, and that'll be in the book of 2 Samuel, if you want to turn there, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, if you want to find that in the scripture, you can. Um, before we, we're just going to kind of close the gap between where we left off last week to where we're headed today. Um, last week, we left David and Saul parting ways. Uh, David uh, had just been running from Saul and, uh, because Saul was trying to kill him. Uh, he was threatened by David. He knew uh, very little about what David's calling to be uh, his anointing to be the next king of Israel. He just knew that David was being talked about all the time. And that Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. That's what people were saying about him all the time. And so David uh, was a threat to Saul. But they have this conversation of reconciliation. And Saul goes away and David goes on. <coughs> and they part ways. And David goes his way. And does he just lay low? No. He, he goes on. And he... he, he uh, he uh, doesn't wait for Saul just to go and die and so he can become the next king. He goes and starts to raid all the ites that are around. He goes into all the villages and he defeats the Amalekites and the Jebusites and the whatever ites are around. He goes and begins to defeat them and begins to gain favor and strength and, and approval and a, and a huge following because that's what's in him. And Saul, on the other hand... Saul, he's struggling, and, and he comes to the understanding that God has left him. God, God's spirit has left him, and he even goes so far to try and visit a medium to conjure up the spirit of Samuel to figure out what's going on. I can't figure this out, and, and he tries all kinds of different ways, and eventually he finds out what is going to go on, the Philistine army overtakes Saul, and Saul ends up killing himself. And, um, and not a great ending to his own life. But after Saul dies, David becomes the next king of Israel. We knew that was going to happen, right? That's been going to happen for years. And, and David takes over, but there's still conflict. There's conflict between David's family and Saul's family. Which is kind of the same thing because Saul, uh, Saul's daughter it was married to David, which is kind of awkward, right? But um, you can probably understand why Saul and David's families didn't get along because, you know, Saul was the previous king, David's the new king. That usually didn't go so well because in those times, what did they do? They just killed off all the previous king's family just in case nobody got jealous, which was, again, awkward. David defeats the Philistine army. He has many victories. Things are going great for the nation of Israel. Why? It's God's people. God's king is in place. There's this guy named Abraham a long time before David. Promised Abraham, I will make you a great 
nation. It's finally happening centuries later. And all of these great accomplishments are happening, all because David is following the voice and the will of God and doing what God is leading him to do. And then we, we come to probably the second most notable thing that David is known for in his life. The first being slingshot David, right? David and Goliath. But the second thing is all David and Bathsheba. Okay, first one, fantastic news. Second one, the beginning of the end of David, right? So much great stuff in David's life. And we turn our attention to the book of 2 Samuel and this account in chapter 11. So many great things that have happened. I just described in the first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel. And then Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 11 begins with this cloud of bad decisions. And we're just going to read one verse that's a precursor to all of the crud that will describe David's life for the rest of his. In uh, 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Five words. But David remained in Jerusalem. Bad news. Where all of those battles that David won in the first ten chapters of 2 Samuel, where was David? With his men. When kings uh, fought battles, where was the king? With his army. When, uh, that, that's just how they led at the time, right? That's the way it worked. Nowadays, when um, the president takes us to war, they sit in a room and they watch it on a screen. And that's the way things are done now. But then the king was with his, with his, with his men. That's how they did it. Why, why did David stay home? Here's my incredibly educated answer. I don't know. I have no clue. He, he might have been tired, right? He'd won a lot of battles. God has done a lot of great things in his life. And listen, he, he probably was very, very confident in Joab. Joab had been right there beside him the whole time. Number one leader in David's army, right-hand man, right? He had full confidence in Joab. M most importantly, remember the spiritual woo? He had full confidence in God that this is God's army. He's going to do his best. And what happened? They wiped out the Ammonites. Well, of course they did because it's God's army. But David remained in Jerusalem, and it was not the best thing that he could have done. For whatever reason, he remains home, and he sees Bathsheba on the rooftop, and he makes one bad decision worse by pursuing her. And then he submits to temptation. And when you submit to temptation, what's that definition? Sin. Right? It wasn't sin until you don't, you're not sinning until you submit to temptation, right? Adam and Eve didn't sin until they took a bite of the apple. 
The serpent was here tempting them. Are you really sure that that's what God said? Is that for sure? But until they took the bite, they didn't disobey. And that's the same thing. He, he pursued her, but when he committed to and, and pursue, and he, he succumbed to temptation, that's when he sinned. And he attempted to cover up the sin. So there's another bad thing. Another bad decision creates another bad decision, creates a lie, and then it creates another bad decision, and he could have just repented. But instead, he, you know, own up to it, right? But instead, David makes it worse, and he says, okay, I see, I see your adultery, and I raise you murder, right? Just keep upping it, upping it and making it worse, and the snowball just got bigger and bigger, and all these consequences that that keep accruing in David's life, all because, you know, if he would have gone to battle, would that have happened? No. Five words. But David remained in Jerusalem. Not the picture of glory and valor that David said. Now, I'm not going into a lot of detail. It is family worship today. Um, not that we typically go into great detail about those kind of things in church, but, uh, um, you know, David made the wrong decision. That's the point. And then he tries to cover it up, and Bathsheba is pregnant. And they try and cover it up together, and Uriah has the integrity not to, to be a part of all that, unbeknown to him, so they have to set it up, and he become. They send him back to the front, and essentially, he gets murdered. David sets him up and puts him in the front lines of the battle, and he gets killed because of David's choice, and he, he commits murder. And then more consequences come because the baby that she's pregnant with ends up dying, even though you keep going on and on through the rest of David's life. More turmoil continues to happen, and his family starts to fall apart, which is not the picture of glory and valor that David seemed to experience that we've talked about over the last three weeks, right? David shows his human nature by allowing himself just to fall deeper and deeper into sin. And he abandons his purpose as the king by staying home. His job was to be with his men. That's what they did. But he focused on his own desire instead. For whatever reason, his pride got in the way. And when temptation came, he pursued that instead. And he deliberately sinned. And then he deliberately sinned again. And he covered up his sins with lies, which is more sin. And he compounds the lies with murder and the consequences were far more reaching than just David himself, right? The consequences laid right in the lap of Uriah and Bathsheba and the baby that they had together, along with the family of David, that the ripple effects that, that, that caused the problems all the way through. All of those things, the opposite, is the opposite of our purpose, which is to glorify God. All of those things were very self-serving, right? 
self-seeking behavior that David succumbed to. And you know what that proves about David? He's human. That's right. He's just like you and me. He's a sinner. Even though he was chosen by God as a little boy, and he was anointed to be the next king of Israel, he was not perfect. Even though he stood there in front of Goliath with all the courage in the world that God could, could put on somebody's shoulders and in their heart, didn't matter. He could still mess up. Even though he was the Swiss army knife of callings and he could write the Psalms and he could play harp music and he could hit anything with a slingshot, all of those great things and, and that he was blessed with and all of the great things that David had accomplished through God using him for his plan, he was still capable of doing the wrong thing at any given time. And he was so caught up in himself at that point, in his own pride and in his sin. And it was not until a messenger from God named Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that was sent to David to get his attention that he understood what was even going on. That's how wound up he was. Have you ever told a story? Kids do this a lot of times. You tell a story and you believe it. And you believe the lie that you told because that's how wound up you're in it. And that was David. That's why pride is so dangerous, right? It's why self is such a blinding heart issue. Because it can numb our hearts to the surrendered life that's required of us, that God wants from us. It's why Satan uses our pride. He uses the very successes, the callings, the talents, the, the abilities that, we, that God has given us. He uses those against us and says, oh, you're awesome. That's all you, buddy. You keep going. Don't worry about it. It's all you. And you begin to think, oh, Heck yeah, that is all me. And, and you lose sight of what the most important thing is. What's the most important purpose? To glorify God. And so that's why Satan continues to use our pride. He doesn't even have to try very hard, does he? Because we like us some us. And think about, think about the highlight reel of David's life, right? We've covered a great deal of it. As a preteen... Next king of Israel, here I come. Yeah, he's chosen over seven, his seven other brothers who most likely treated him like he was non-existent. So just that right there, somebody recognized him, that accepted him. How many of our preteens and our teenagers just want that from somebody? You look at the people that, that like you watch documentaries all the time, and it probably happens right here under our noses. That that's what teenagers want, so they get in, involved in gangs and other things like that. That all they want is to be accepted, and they'll do anything to get a part of it. So it could have happened then, but it didn't. Before David graduates from high school, he defeats Goliath, right? He launches his name into historic infamy, and that story still exists in culture today, simply because he threw a stone with God's power and killed a, a giant. 
He displays mercy and integrity in his early 20s, and his maturity goes beyond his years. And he proves not just his, that his physical callings are incredible, but his inner belief and confidence in God to follow his will and his plan and not take, his own, uh, take, take God's plan into his own hands. It's so incredible and that to trust that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, that to be a great nation is being played out in his life. And he has every right to feel good about himself because of what God is doing in his life. The problem was, just like everyone, I mean everyone, right? Like you and me, David had the choice to serve himself and his own desire in being overconfident to the will of the same God that enabled him to do all those things. And he lost sight of who was actually empowering him to do it. And he has this encounter with Bathsheba. And after he has Uriah murdered, his life was never the same. There's trouble in his family from there on. And he dealt with issues and defeat that he was just not accustomed to for the rest of his life. And David spent the, he spends the, the beginning of his life hyper-focused on what God wanted for him. He was centered on using the callings, the abilities, the great things that God had given him and he was, that he was blessed with for the purpose that he was called to do. He used them all to glorify God and to do his will. And at some point, one weak moment, David lost focus on his purpose. And his, the consequences played out through the rest of his life in some way, shape, or form. Has that ever happened to you? Just lost focus for one moment. Because it does happen to us, right? Because we literally are wired that way from birth, right? Uh, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul tells us that in the book of Romans. So it's the way we are. We, we have the first temptation, the fall of the, of the first temptation ever, Adam and Eve. We, we have them to thank for that. And it's been passed down to us ever since. And there's consequences from those sin. Later on, Paul tells us that the wages of our sin is death. That's what's coming. And it's not just physical death. It's eternal death. If we don't choose to offer our heart and our sins and, and repent of those things. And they linger for a lifetime, just like David had to deal with. Now, for you and me, our lives are not so much different than David's, right? Now, we may not be, <clears throat> excuse me, we may, we may not be shooting down uh, giants with our slingshots every day. But every day, you and I focus, we, we do face Goliath-sized problems in our lives, don't we? That they stand in the valley of our lives, just like Goliath did, and they scream at us, and they mock us, and they mock our God, and they question you, and they, and they question the God that you serve, 
Why are you doing what you're doing? It's not working for you. And they just beat on you over and over again. And we might not have people that are physically trying to harm us like David encountered with King Saul. But every day we do encounter people, either directly or indirectly, that want to assassinate your character. That not only want to tear you down simply because of your skin color or the part of town you live in or your gender or the language you speak or the religion that you practice, or the money you have, or the money that you don't have, or that, that you're part of an untraditional family dynamic, maybe. And then they troll you on social media to s exploit your words, and they, they, they take them out of context, and, and they go to great lengths to disgrace your, your Christian um, reputation, right? And then when you do mess up, watch out, because the world of naysayers is going to go crazy with all the negative narratives that say, uh, and then they start to call you out, and they mock your God again and say, I told you so, you're a loser, you're never going to make it, and, and they want to bury you with guilt, and, when, and then they just cancel you and forget all about you, but God, but God didn't do that with David. When he got involved with Bathsheba and got her pregnant and killed her husband and had all the other stuff with his family go awry. And God doesn't do that with you. And that is what grace is all about. What God wants is for us to repent. He wants our heart to change. He wants us to surrender to his will and to his way. And he wants us to change the way that we live our lives. And if we surrender our way to his will, then the way that we live our lives will change. It's the way it's that's just the way it works. Now, doesn't mean that the consequences of our sin will completely disappear, does it? I got a scar from wiping out on my bike when I was about six on my knee. That doesn't disappear just because I get older. I remember the day it happened, right? This doesn't, okay? The scars that we've acquired from the past, they don't disappear. They're there on purpose. It's a reminder sometimes isn't it? And that God that was with David when he was anointed, the next king of, of Israel, it was a big moment when he stood before Goliath. That God that, that did the guiding of the rock. That God that protected David while he was on the run is the God that we serve today. And over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. How the grace of God is the same today as it always has been. That the God of David is the same God today. The God of Joseph is the same God 
as today. That he healed people back then. And he heals people today. Dylan, why don't you guys come on up and get ready to go. That he speaks, he spoke to people back then. And he speaks to people today. And uh, that's, that's our plan is to kind of unpack all that.